okay I'm supposed to look at this camera and not the screen that's hard for me I like I mean I don't good afternoon everyone hello <laughs> usually yeah so I'm sorry sorry um hey everybody uh, this is Pastor Ernesto and Angie and we are coming to you live on Facebook from um, Flint City Studios here in Flint, Michigan. Um, not really, it's just our office, and I have a cool light that bumps off Angie's glasses. Yeah, sorry. So I w I've been, I'm, I'm trying to look at the camera. I usually look at the, the down at the screen, but I guess it makes my eyes not look right if I don't look at the camera. There's a new technology just came out. Have you heard of this, babe? Yeah. Technology that actually fake eyeballs it, it digitally <laughs> makes your eyes look at the camera even if you're looking, you're looking around it makes your eye it, it's a freaky technology i'm gonna get it because <laughs> i'm the worst and certain people certain people you know who you are like to send me um diagrams of how angie's eyes are looking the right way and mine looking the wrong oh, way I, i'm not looking at the camera either i actually look at you i usually look at your eyes on the screen but when, she's when you're talking i got a, i got a graph or i got a <laughs> A graphic that showed you doing the right thing, me doing the wrong thing. So, oh. starting a new book this month in February. Show everyone the book, darling. This is the book. Let Justice Roll Down by John M. Perkins. Now, this is going to go from um, fluffy to heavy very quickly. Um, who is John Perkins? John Perkins is a civil rights leader. Born when, darling? 1930, I think it said. Born 1930. Um, I met John Perkins once. He came to Flint, spoke over on the north side at a, at a large church, a very famous, large, influential church in our in our region. And he invited some people to come, and he just he just talked to us. It was a very um, humbling thing to hear from a man who had seen so much of American history, who had seen our country change in so many ways over the course of his lifetime. Reading this book for a, a number of reasons. One, it is um, it's, it's February, and it's African, Ameri African American Awareness Month, what they call it? Black, Black history, history Month. It's Black History Month. Um, that's one reason. Uh, another reason is we live in Flint, Michigan, which means we're a, a, a city that is more than one race. Um, being Latino, I am the minority twice over in this city. Um, uh, Flint is, uh, I think it's majority black um, with a close minority of white. Um, uh, Flint's a very unique city in this way. Our demographics are very odd. Like you go to the east side, it's more, it's more Anglo. The north side is more African-American. Um, but our city has more, it, it's a very, it's a, there are race. And the, there's some Latinos. We have a Cuban population currently increasing here. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I've done my part to bring some Latinos to the area, all my family, and having <laughs> more kids and stuff like that. Uh, but I want to read this book. Uh, it is February, but I also think it's good as believers in Christ to understand the cultural reality um, of... We don't... Here in at Flint City Church, we don't have the... What's the word, babe? I don't know. The, the nice thing. The... Um, isn't it nice you can live this way? We don't have the... Oh, um, the <laughs> luxury? We don't have the luxury. <laughs> Is that a great word, babe? We don't have the luxury of being a monocultural church. 
Is that a luxury? It's a luxury in one way. Being in a monocultural church or being in a moni or homogenous culture where there's only one culture around. If you go to school, it's primarily one culture or you go to church, primarily one culture. It's very easy not to worry about how the world's perceived by others. You can very much think that this, the experience I have is the experience most people in the world also share. But that sells you short on what the experience of the body of Christ is because Amen. our experience is varied and yeah, we need to be exposed and recognize that not all of our brothers and sisters live or have grown up like we do. Um, we are in a very odd time in our culture and this, the polarization that's happened um, online but also among families has bled into the church. Um, this conversation we're going to have right now, talking about this book, I would imagine that um, it's going to be very easy to call us woke after this conversation. And that's okay. This book is about a man born in the 1930s down south in Mississippi. And he tells the story of his life, what it's like growing up in the south as a black man. And um, it's a life of, of crushing poverty. And it's a life of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Being a black man meant something. And it wasn't a decision he made. He was born into a world that existed and the rules were set. Nothing he could do, nothing Perkins could do, could change the color of his skin. Wherever he went, wherever he walked around, he was marked. Um, a couple things to say about this as we go forward. I have some comments written down here. A um, couple introductory questions. One, why spend time looking at the bad things of our American heritage? I say our because I was born here in America, and my family has been in Texas. Uh, I mean, true, I know Texas was a part of Mexico um, before America took it over, uh, before they, you know, Annex is the nice word. Annex is the <laughs> nice word. Yeah, I annexed uh, Lifesavers from the Ken Ross Co-op once. <laughs> uh, annexed them to my pocket. And uh, guess what? I owed them 50 cents. So, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm being, okay, I got to back this up. Okay, so um, there's a conversation and there's, there's states having these big arguments about things. And then it's political and it, it, it causes people to have strong emotional reactions. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions is, should we look at as a nation... Our mistakes should we teach our children about the the things we've done as a people that were less than stellar or do we focus on the good do we teach about you know America coming over into World War II and being the heroes of the world mm -hmm. uh, do, we, do we do we leave our history to that or do we tell the stories of when Japanese people were interned on the west coast of our country within a generation do we um do we talk about slavery and the in, in the time after slavery in the south and in, in, in America our, our um the the black experience in America do we ignore that um what are your thoughts on that darling looking, um, looking, looking at American history a bad thing basically a negative American history no I think it's 
part of our past and we need to look at it and acknowledge it. I mean, the old adage says, you know, if you forget your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And I think that it's important to look at it, um, both in order to be sympathetic to the things that people have gone through, um, to broaden our own horizons, but also to learn from it so that we don't, you know, um, make those same mistakes. I agree. I think um, there. Um, I I think you're right, Dave. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We gotta, we got, and, and that's true. Even I talked talk to my children about our, like our journey, me and you together, and even our, our histories as young kids. Like, like if my kids ever ask me, Dad, did you did you drink when you were young? Did you do drugs? Did you ever raise your hand and bounce? Did you do, did you bully kids that were smaller than you? I'm not gonna lie about. I'm gonna tell you, yeah, I did things that I'm I. I I'm ashamed of. As a nation, we have two. And one of the great shames of our American story is the, tr the, the, the enslavement and the treatment of African Americans throughout the, our nation's history. There are some who would say that um, you can't tackle everything at once. There is another thing I want to, to, to kind of tackle head on. And that is the reality of um, slavery and plantations and the, um, what do they call the laws after? Jim Crow laws? The Jim Crow laws. Uh, Jim, in case you don't know what Jim Crow laws are, is after the Civil War ended and the South lost, there was this period of time called Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. And the Union Army literally, um, they occupied the South. And they basically, um, the, the Northern Army, well, the Union Army, I should say, the Union Army, they stayed in the South to make sure that African Americans could be free without fear of reprisal. Mm -hmm. And in that season of Reconstruction, there were, un, there were, there were so many, there were black governor, uh, mayors, there were black senators and House representatives. There was this movement, people started going to school. There was a movement in the South, African Americans were, it looked like for a moment, African Americans would become part of American society in an equal and strong way. And there's a moment of incredible hope. Um, and then there was a contested election between Republicans and Democrats, and there was like, who won this? And there was, it was a moment of great, uh, uh, great tension in American history. And the deal that was made to give one side the win was, we'll let you have the win if you remove the Northern Army from the South, the Union Army from the South, as the Union Army leaves the South. And then a series of laws are passing state by state called Jim Crow laws, which essentially were laws limiting the, the freedom, the uh, economic strength, What else? It, it limited just. It limited you know that, that thing that life the what life love pursuit of happiness what is that called life liberty, the pursuit of happiness. The Jim Crow, Crow laws kept African Americans from those things. Mm -hmm. There were laws designed to make sure African Americans stayed in their place, and I I, I say that horrifically. Okay, I don't see that. That's just. That's history. Look all this stuff up. Um, John Perkins is born 
1930. So 1945, he's 15. The stories we're hearing are from this period, mm -hmm. 40 to 45. Within 10 years of these events in this, these first five chapters, Elvis is making music and being a, being a thing in America. This, was, this, this level of... This level of um, oppression mm -hmm. was there in my mother's lifetime. Yeah. It's but, crazy reading the, his first-hand account and just the conditions that they lived in and everything they were up against. And to think about that that was less than a century ago, you know, that it's not... It's, it seems like it should have been pre-Civil War, you know, talking about just living in the in the shanties and, you know, and and it's not. It's it's much more recent than we realize. Like I, I get confused. I think to myself, this is pre-Civil War, mm -hmm. and it's not pre-Civil War. This is a hundred years after? Close to, I mean, what, 60, 80 years. 80 years since Civil War, and this is the there are things described, and when I say systemic, people push against this word systemic. It means a system set against someone. The, the cars are set against a person. The sharecroppers, tell a story about the sharecropper, being a sharecropper. Him and his family were sharecroppers. They lived on the land of a, of a, of a powerful, you know, white family, and uh, they had a deal of what, what they, they kept the land. They, they, they're almost like um, peasants, you know, uh, like in the European medieval system. What are yeah, they, vassals. Like serfs and, yeah. yeah. serfs. And so you had to, like, work, the, you didn't own the land, but you lived on the land, you worked the land, and you had to deal with the, the boss, the farmer, what they looked like. There's a talk about how the, the owner of the land got 50% of the land automatically. He owned the uh, land. Of the crops. 50% of the, the crops are his. But the other remaining 50%, the local, like, the store in town, you couldn't pay them. You had a, had a line of credit. Mm -hmm. And you were charged interest for having this account. Not only charged interest, but the, the, the shop didn't charge the family. The shop charged the landowner. And the landowner charged another 20%, right? Basically, yeah, he got a kickback for saying you have to go to this store. You go to this store. And then, yeah. And so of the half you're getting, 40% is taken. 20 by the shopkeeper and 20 by your loving, awesome boss man. And there's no way around that system. He talks about how you couldn't be independent because you might be considered a uppity black man. And being an uppity black Mississippi is the thing you don't want to be. Being working for the for the for the white landowner, it gave a covering. Like you were seen, like he said to tell the story how the first words he had to learn to say were who he worked for. Mm -hmm. Because people would meet, like a white man would see a black kid on the road and ask him, on whose land do you live? Mm -hmm. Not who are you, not who's your mama, what's your name? Do you have there's, there's a joke I've heard people say. And it's, are you lost? That means, why are you here? You don't belong here. They're making sure you belong here. On whose land do you... Because I want to make sure there's someone I know and trust that you are under their authority. Otherwise, I'd be scared of you and I don't like it. You're here. Mm -hmm. So there's a sense growing up in that you don't belong anywhere except for under the white yes. man who is your boss man. He mentions, go ahead to that passage, there's a part he mentions um, what it's like.
being at the bottom of society. Go ahead and read that, Faith. It says, um, when you've spent your whole lifetime with limited opportunities, spent your whole lifetime being told your place is at the bottom, that entire mixture helps create a low image of yourself. There are some, and this is a very um, fringe group, there are some who are trying to rewrite history, I guess. Mm -hmm. And they say that um, slavery wasn't as bad as the books say it was. That um, African Americans being under Christian slave owners allowed them to receive the gospel. And so um, it's a good thing. And Christian, Christian landowners were good to their slaves and loved their slaves. Um, they were, you know, exploiting them nicely. <laughs> the thing is, making someone feel like they are not created in the image of God. That's an affront to God. Yeah. That's, I mean, he created them in his image. Um, this book's going to be hard for a lot of people to read. Reading about the black experience and reading how even good Christian white people oppressed black people so strongly can be hard because everyone reads these kind of books and says well if i was alive back then i wouldn't be one of the bad guys i would be one of the the nice whites who loved african americans man oh man we all want to pretend we're the good guys but listen a whole society was full of people who just went with the flow and enjoyed the place it gave them because if someone was on the bottom it allowed you to have a better place in society now i want to mention um a, a moment in this book that was very personal for me uh john perkins is an incredible writer and we're not through the whole book yet i i i don't know where he learns how to write babe because he talked about his school is not a is not right. a priority as a sharecropper school he didn't he went to school and messed around yeah. I don't know where he learns his command English language. I don't know where he learns to write with such power as he does in this book. But there's a moment he talks about his first memories meeting his father. I, 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 I cried. He, he, he just had this thought that I belong to someone, someone. Mm -hmm. I have a place. And how he just longed for that so much. Yeah. And that longing is going to come up, I think, more in the book. This desire to belong, this desire to be loved, to have a family, have a people. Talk about how he was not having a dad. He was called a bastard by everybody. It was really hard for me to read those words from him. Growing up poor and a minority in a culture and feeling alone is a horrible, horrible way to feel and to grow up. Um, there's violence uh, his brother's killed unjustly there's a ra random thing at the end of chapter 4 I believe where uh, a black man crashes into a white man and the white man dies so the black man goes to jail but a group of people come and take that African American man out of jail tie him to a car and drive up down the street with him um, chained to the back they drive around dragging him around until he's dead and uh, it's just a way, it's it just, that's, that's, that's their version of justice, and that is unjust, that is evil. The title of the book's called What Justice, what Justice Rolled Down, and reading the first few five chapters, I wonder how does this man not have hate in his heart as, as, as deep as the ocean? And I 
I know. I know the answer. I know God could get a hold of this man. I, I, I'm, I'm watching. I don't know how, how you let go of such anger. We're going to read this story together. Um, and again, the story is not meant to make you feel like you're a bad person if you are white. Now, that's the goal is to not beat up the white people day. Um, that's not what it is. But we need to understand that our experience is not normative for all peoples. Being Latin American as I am, um, even with Angie, we've been pulled over before. We used to get pulled over all the time, um, driving around America like we did um, as missionaries. We get pulled over sometimes. And cops, what do they ask you, babe, when you got pulled over? They would lean in the window and say, you all right over there, man? Like, there was an assumption that, like, is she okay? Is she safe? Mm -hmm. Because she's with me. Um, I have, I mean, I was with a buddy of mine uh, in Fenton, Michigan, and uh, a drunk man had, you know, fallen. his friends had left him, and he had fallen in some bushes, so me and my buddy helped him out of the bushes because he was drunk and he was passed out, and he went to a tirade against me. Uh, like, oh man, don't you say he called me, you know, towelhead and a Muslim and just saying all kinds. And, and when we got, we, we got, we got this, we drove this guy home. I mean, he, the whole time he's just, he's just coming at me with all kinds of, of Muslim, um, what do you call those Slurs? words? Slurs. We drop him off and my, my good friend, Pastor Morris, he just goes, does that happen to you? Something, does that ever happen? That was crazy. Does that happened before? I'm like, yeah, it happens to me. I got cars driving. When I was a kid, I just walked down around the water from Michigan. Cars would drive by, get a get a beep. Go home, you towel head. It was the wrong slur. But it was, you know, it was a slur. And I've always said, I have felt what it's like to be a, a minority in a, a majority culture. But I know one thing that's true about being brown. It's different being it's different than being black. Being black in America gives you a different set of eyes. And uh, for me, entering into this experience with John Perkins is, is very enlightening. It, uh, it breaks my heart. Um, and then we're talking about, there's, there's, there's realities. There's realities of why so, so many swaths of inner city black America is so poor. Uh, it's not merely because of some, like, what, laziness or because of drugs. There was in a there was a what do you call it an intentional legal will to keep blacks away from wealth and strength in our nation for a long long time. And you're like, what do you mean, Pastor? Listen, the house I live in right now, two owners ago, two owners ago on the deed it said that this house cannot be sold, purchased, rented, or leased to someone not of the Anglo-Saxon race. The neighborhood I live in didn't want non-whites moving in because it would lower the property values. So that meant blacks couldn't live in er nice areas where the land was worth money. They were kept, it was called redlining. This happened in our city, Michigan. Less than 100 years ago. Less than 100 years ago. I could not have owned my house. 70 years ago. My grandpa couldn't live where I lived. My grandpa was a Flint guy. How crazy is that? Now, so, a book like this is meant to, it's a hard one. I'm grateful for his voice. I'm looking forward to going through the story. As we read this book together, uh, I encourage you to, to let it hurt you. 
again, the goal is not to feel like I'm the worst person in the world. It's to understand that where we are in our current present moment, we got here somehow. Mm-hmm. And to be careful with pronouncements or assumptions. Be careful with pronouncements or assumptions. If considering someone's race and their culture's experience makes me woke, then hey, man, I'm awake, baby. <laughs> Any thoughts, darling? Um, I think so. Um, uh, I've never read this book. I've read other books by him, more of his philosophies of ministry. A lot of what we do here at Flint City Church has, has been um, informed by the work of a ministry that John Perkins is the, is the, is the founder of called CCDM, um, which is what? Christian Community Development Association, CCDA. CCDA, Christian Community Development Association. They do some incredible things. Uh, they One of their big values is if you want to help a city, you got to live there. you got to move in and live there shoulder to shoulder with people. That's one of our big our big things. We live. We live here. We shop here. We the other day I was like, Do you want to go to Miller Road for food? Like, nah, let's stay in the city and get some let's better let's spend our money in, in <laughs> Flint in Flint City, not Flint Township, boy. Um so so yeah. So this is gonna be a hard book for a lot of us to read, but it's a good book. And so with that said, uh we have um we hold the book up again. If you don't have a copy of this, now this is a very quick read. I read these first five chapters in like honestly less than an hour. Yeah, I flew really through short it. Chapters and it's all it's and a it, narrative. It, so. I mean, he, he's a good writer. It pulls you in. It pulls. Do listen. The great the grace is powerful. We're gonna get to the grace of this all as we read this book. Um, but if you don't have this book, you can catch up real quick. If you're not reading it today, mm-hmm. catch up. We'll have ten copies of this available. At Fearful City Church this Sunday, look for Miss Angela Bagard. She'll have the book. Give her a ten spot. Have the book and catch up for next Tuesday. Okay, um, it's a very, it's a good, challenging, life-changing read. It's not just about, you know, it's not just about the evil that men do one to another. It's about the grace God can take even the most oppressed person, and through his, through his, the power of His Son. We can forgive unbelievable things. It's a it's a great book. Um, there's going to be on our Facebook page. There's going to be a um, pinned Facebook post. That's uh, a place to put quotes. A place to put thoughts as you read. Go ahead, just throw them on there. We'll interact with them every every time we come up on, on Tuesdays at noon. So with that said, uh, have a wonderful wonderful Tuesday, and we will see you uh, next time. Keep Bye. on reading, everybody. Let's get let's let's grow in wisdom. Let's grow in wisdom. I turn this off over here. Okay.